What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I'm your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously, both in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. Welcome to the show. Guys, before we begin, I would just like to have a quick word from our sponsor, and that would be me. Um, Yes, indeed, the property accelerator that I run, the Elite Property Accelerator. I am launching a new mastermind in September. In the past, all of my um, programs and courses, they have been primarily educational in nature. And this one's going to be different insofar as the prime focus is going to be on networking and growing your community. So if you are interested in being a part of a vibrant community that is focused on property investment um, and you want an opportunity to jump on a call once a week um, for, say, a discussion on property news, events, opportunities, risks, what's happening in the market, what's happening to the market, uh, what people are buying, what people are selling, what people are getting in of, getting out of, Um, In addition to the weekly call, there's also a quarterly in-person meetup, and that's an event. It's a full-day event. It takes place on a weekend. We have guest speakers. We have workshops. We have an investor pitch fest, and uh, and so on. So, guys, if you are interested, if this sounds like something you'd be interested in joining, I am doing a special uh, discount in September. It's going to be 50% for for all of those who join in September. Uh, then at the end of September, the rates will go up to the normal rate. And so if you are interested, I'm going to go and put a link to a wait list in the show notes below. And anyone who puts their name down there, I'll be reaching out to them with further details. So guys, on with the show. What's up, guys? You're back listening to the, uh, the show, and I'm actually recording this from home today. This is my new uh, top floor office in my new house that I've just built. And um, it's it's great to be able to do this kind of recording without having to go into the office and things like that. So over the next couple of weeks and months, I'm going to be kitting out this place so it is a little bit more presentable. The backdrop at the moment is pretty bare and, and drab, and I'm going to be putting soundproofing on the walls and stuff like that just to improve the audio. But um, welcome. This is the first one. If you're watching on video, you'll obviously see the backdrop. If you're listening in, then this may not sound that different to the usual. Uh, Today, what I want to talk about is money. And before I do, I want to kick off this episode with a very quick shout out to Scat's Bouncy Castles of Carlo. Now, the reason I'm doing this quick shout out, and in particular, I want to thank Eddie, uh, is that he sorted me out. It was my son's third birthday over the weekend. And um, I didn't have a bouncy castle. Well, we were just trying to figure out like what we're going to do. And the weather looked like it was going to be decent. Uh, it turned out to be quite a mixed bag in the end. But the lads in Scats came up to Dublin with a bouncy castle, dropped it off, set it up. Really professional bunch of, bunch of guys, super friendly. And uh, anyway, Dominic had a fantastic day. The kids all went crazy. If you know, you know what I'm talking about. Bouncy castles are pretty popular. So anyway, just... Wanted to mention those guys, uh, Scats Bouncy Castles, really, really great bunch of guys. And uh, I'm so grateful for helping me make a special day for my little son. Now, 
it was also my birthday. Those of you who don't know, I actually share a birthday. My son was born on my birthday three years ago. And so I have just turned 51, would you believe? And uh, coming up on my father, my own father, his 30 year anniversary since he died. And that is the length of time that I have been in the property business. Now, one of the questions that I get a lot is how to buy property and how can we get started in buying a property? And there's plenty of lads out there that'll tell you that you don't need any cash. You can do uh, zero cash down deals and all that kind of stuff. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, they are pretty rare. I mean, they are possible, yes. Uh, I'm not going to say that they're impossible, but I'm going to tell you that there is a certain amount of things that need to align in order to make a zero cash deal possible. And it's going to be as much your uh, personal skills at you know convincing uh, a seller it's going to be down to your resourcefulness it's going to be down to your creativity and just your persuasive nature and the rapport that you've built with the seller because usually a deal like a zero cash down deal whatever way it's structured it's usually structured as in you're taking control of the property but you're de deferring the payment and that is not a traditional way to do it. And therefore, there's going to be resistance. And so it's going to be a lot down to your own skills as a, you know, as a, as a deal maker, as a person who can kind of convince the seller. But it's also going to be very much to do with the motivation of the seller themselves. It might actually suit them to do this. They may already be familiar with the idea. And so it might not be such a stretch. But if you're talking to a person who is trying to gonna go down the traditional road of just selling a property, this is gonna sound like a really crazy idea to them and you're just not gonna get that deal. Most, uh, you know, in short, what most people are looking for is a mufti deal. And mufti is money up front, thank you. M-U-F-T-Y. Uh, now, alternatively, and this is actually something that one of my, um, one of my clients in the mastermind, in the, um, in the accelerator program, Callum. What Callum did recently is get into rent-to-rent -rent deals. And I'm starting to see an awful lot more of this. And it's, it is very interesting to see how you can profit from property without actually taking control, or sorry, you are taking control of the property, but you're not actually buying it. What you're doing is, in this particular case, You'll, you'll go and you'll do a deal with somebody who wants to rent a property and you'll say, look, I'm going to rent your property. I'm going to give you a thousand a month, two thousand a month, whatever it is, is the going rate for that property. But you're going to do it with their permission to turn it around and either rent it out as an Airbnb, in which case you're getting more for short term letting, or you split the property up into multiple units. And when it's in multiple units, you can obviously get a greater sum like a HMO or something like that. Now, it is not difficult to convince people because obviously Airbnb is is out there. It's obviously a lot more hands-on. Airbnb is management intensive, is definitely not for everybody. But you can go and rent a property at say 1,500 a month or something like that and you might be able to get 4,000 a month in rent uh, as a short-term let. So it is it is potentially quite profitable. 
Um, you've got no upfront capital, pretty much, except for maybe a deposit on the house uh, or a security deposit plus your a month's rent or something like that. So it's pretty low outgoings. You might need to spend some money on decoration and stuff if you want to rent it out as an Airbnb. But apart from that, you don't need to save up tens of thousands and things like that. So that is one way to get into property without needing the huge big deposit. Now, ignoring all that, if we want to go back and just have a look at the traditional way of buying property, and that is, you know, with a deposit and with the mortgage, how do you get that deposit? How do you pull the deposit together? And I'm going to tell you that, it, you know, it's not a very sexy or glamorous answer, but it's simply the grind of saving money. And as an aside, obviously, people... They can go to their bank. This is something I've heard recently, and it's something that you guys need to just be aware of. Um, but a lot of the time people will go to their bank and they'll say, I'm buying this property as my family home. Can you give me a family home mortgage? And that will be a, a 90. If you're a first time buyer, that could be a 90 percent uh, loan to value. So you only have to come up with 10 percent. Now, 10 percent is you know, it's a, it's, it's, it can still be a sizable enough sum, but most people, 10% is not that massive an amount of money to accumulate. And so you go, you put down your 10%, you refurbish the property, you rent it out, and then you go to your bank and you say, hey, I'd like to refinance to get my profit out of the deal. And they'll turn around and say, but I thought this was a personal home. And you say, oh, yeah, I forgot about that detail. And then when they realize that you're now renting it, that mortgage, when you're refinancing back your profit, it switches the, the mortgage into a, an investment loan. And when it becomes an investment loan, it's no longer 90%. It is 70% at the highest, pretty much. And therefore, all of the profit that you've made that you're trying to get out is going to be retained by the bank. They're going to be saying, well, no, you need to put, you need it. It needs to be 70% now. So you need to put the 30% deposit down. So your profit in the deal might be the 20% that now gets retained by the bank. Now, still a good deal. You, you got your money out. Uh, you didn't get your money out, but you got your money, you got your profit and it's in the deal. And the deal is now less highly leveraged, which is another good thing. But people who want to kind of take that profit and they want to put it into the next deal, that's the bit that you're obviously going to be prevented from doing. So just be aware of that. A lot of people don't realize you know, the steps that they're going to get themselves into trouble by doing that. And also it's going to make it a potentially more uh, tax costly because um, if it was your family home and you were selling it, then you don't actually have to pay any tax on it. But if you're just uh, refinancing the thing, obviously, then that, it, that property is going to become taxable. So think about these things before you rush in. Now, how do you accumulate money for a deposit the traditional way and uh, what i'm going to talk about today is it's going to sound pretty obvious and maybe um, a little bit too obvious but i'm just going to go into the different categories you've got five categories that make up money and one of them is income earnings and that's kind of pretty obvious your income and your earnings you know you go and get a job and you're earning money you work a second job you can go and do work on the weekends uh, you have a side hustle, whatever it might be. I used to wash cars on the weekends and stuff like that. And uh, that was my way of earning money. And it was more profitable than working at a bar or something like that. I used to be able to make like a hundred pounds at the time. 
and I used to be able to make that money in a single day. Whereas friends of mine would work in a pub for five, six hours and they would earn like 20 pounds or something like that. So I was accumulating money faster than my friends were at the time. And that was a good way of doing it. But accumulating money through earnings is only possible if you're able to keep a lid on your expenses and your outgoings. Now, obviously, you know, the less expenses you have, the greater amount of money you're going to be able to earn and put away to the side. And that's, you know, that's kind of pretty rudimentary advice. But, uh, you know, the old saying like that, you've got more month left at the end of the, at the end of your money. And um, the big I've actually heard some big property guru out there. I won't mention names, but I heard him recently going on about how you can't save your way to becoming a millionaire. And uh, I think I would push back on that because if any, you only have to look at Warren Buffett and see, you know, the billionaire that he has become. He was an absolutely crazy saver. He saved like crazy and he his savings obviously were then turned into investments and the investments did very, very well. But I think it's very self-serving advice for these guys to say you can't save your way to being a millionaire because what they're trying to do there is sell something and they're trying to prime you for releasing get taking out your credit card and buying now don't get me wrong i'm obviously i've got programs and courses myself but i don't try to tell you that i don't i don't pretend that saving and living kind of below your means is not something that you have to try to do if you want to accumulate a a deposit quicker than the average person Savings is the next part, is part three. And savings, this is what I consider to be a temporary accumulation of your earnings for a future purpose. And this could be, the purpose that you have in mind for this could be an investment. But it could also just be that you're deferring payment until you've accumulated enough. So that could be, you know, you, you want to buy a car, you want to buy a holiday, you want to refurbish your house or something like that. Not all of those are investments. So, you know, if you're going to go and buy a car and you need to save up, you know, 10,000 in order to do that, say, you know, you save 10,000, then you go and get a, a car loan or something like that. Don't delude yourself by thinking that's an investment. That is throwing money down the, the toilet. But you will have a nice car. So don't get me wrong. We all need, you know, a lot of us need to drive and having a nice car does give you a sense of abundance and it's nice to have a decent car and people who are into cars it's definitely but don't fool yourself into thinking that it's an investment because i don't know i i've never known a car not to lose money obviously people go out and buy they buy classic cars and things like that but leaving that aside a holiday you know buying a watch whatever it might be of course there are people that can go out there and they can they're pretty shrewd and they can buy a a watch and it will accumulate in value and things like that but generally speaking people are doing this because it's ego driven they want the lifestyle they want the the acknowledgement of friends and peers that they you know that they have a nice watch they have a nice car they've just come back from a great holiday and all that and don't get me wrong this is all great but once you understand that it is taking you away from the ultimate goal of accumulating the money quickly and so if you're prepared to take five years to accumulate a large deposit, or if you're prepared to do only wait two years, you can both, you can achieve that, but it just depends on, are you living below or above your means? And somebody who wants to have a nice apartment 
versus somebody who's prepared to live at home with their parents. And I know it's not glamorous and stuff like that, but like, let's just be honest. This is how people do it. This is how people accumulate money is they forget about the ego. They forget about the lifestyle. They just, they are maniacally focused on accumulating as much as possible. Now, coffee, you go out and buy a coffee in the morning, it's four euro. And you do that five days a week. And I do this a lot. Now, five times, five five days a week, four euro, that's 20 euro a week. 20 euro a week by 50 weeks in a year, that's a thousand euro. Now, you might sort of say, well, you know, I like to have my coffee. But if somebody said, here, I'll give you a thousand euro right now, or you're going to go and have a coffee, what would you say? You, you take the thousand. But over a this kind of long period of time, people don't notice that this is where your money can kind of disappear. So there's obviously ways, like I'm not saying go out there and scrimp and save and stuff like that if you don't feel like it. But this is how people do it. And people who kind of ignore it and say, ah, that's all BS. Like you have to go out and, you know, make an investment and double your money and things like that. You're not going to be able to make investments if you're not able to accumulate the cash in the first place to put it into an investment. And anyone who thinks that you can put a money, you can invest in something and you're going to double it quickly, you're going to lose your money because quick prom promises to make money quickly overnight, they just don't happen. Um, anytime that I've rushed into an investment to make a quick killing, almost always has gone badly wrong for me. And uh, I can remember putting 30,000 into an investment, being told like that it was, you know, it was going to be an amazing investment. And it went up to 37,000 very quickly. And I was like, whoa, I'm on a ride here. And then it dropped like precipitously down to zero, went to nil. And I lost all 30,000. And I can remember saying to myself, I'm so angry because this is way, way back when I was much, much younger. And I was, I didn't have the 30,000 to lose, but I lost it. And that's what happens when you kind of let you let your emotions get the hang of it, get the better of you. And you kind of greed creeps in there and you think, oh, I could turn this 30 into 60. It's great, but you could also lose it all. So anytime you're going to make an investment, just be aware that, you know, you, there is always a chance that you can lose your, you know, lose your investment entirely. Um, it's always advisable to have a buffer, by the way. Don't invest all of your savings in investments. Don't put all, don't put every penny into an investment. And the reason I say that is because you should always, if you can, put aside three to six months of rent or not even rent, just living expenses. So in the event that something was to go wrong, in the event that you lost your job, in the event that, you know, there was some sort of medical emergency, you have money to get by. There's nothing worse than investing all of your money in something. And then that deal turns into a long-term speculation and didn't, didn't revert, you know, it didn't perform as expected. It's going to take twice the length of time now to get your money back, whatever it might be. And in the meantime, you might have this emergency that you need cash. And uh, there's nothing worse than trying to get your cash back out of an investment after it's, you know, gone awry or whatever. Now, it all sounds a bit dramatic and unrealistic, perhaps, but investments do fail and they do underperform. And it is naive of you to think that every investment you ever make is going to perform exactly the way it's expected. Deals take longer. People overpromise the performance. 
there is also rampant speculation where everyone kind of jumps on the bandwagon taking for example crypto as an example um, you've seen what's happened to the crypto market in the last 12 months it's been an absolute bloodbath for some people don't get me wrong bitcoin i looked at bitcoin back in 2011 if i had bought it when i when it was you know when i when i found out about it i could probably have 6 million in the bank today all in bitcoin but the reality is is that you would get in and then when it was it had gone up like twice or three times you'd probably have bailed out you wouldn't have stayed in until it had gone up like 5000 fold or whatever timing in, in investment is critical you can lose every penny that you put into the investment if you're not careful now that also goes for property if you go and over leverage your way into property it can go badly for you as interest rates have shot up lately a lot of people are feeling the pain now but stocks and shares are equally as dangerous so just be aware that investments everyone is interested in making investments and getting going as an investor and that's great but emotions play a huge role and you have to be very careful not to get caught um, one of the key, the, I'm going to get back to the key message here, and that is really just keeping a lid on your expenses and living, if you can, live below your means as a key life finance strategy. Every pay rise you get, people are often tempted to incrementally increase their lifestyle at the same kind of rate. So you've been earning you know, 2,000 a month and suddenly you got a pay rise and you're getting 2,500 a month. So you're thinking, okay, now I can afford the extra 500. And so the 500 goes into a nice upgrade of the car, maybe a better apartment, nicer holiday. And all of a sudden you're back where you started. You have no additional cash. Every single penny that you are getting paid extra is now going into the, some additional lifestyle uh, improvement. And that's the bit, that's that incremental creep that takes place around lifestyle is where it goes wrong. And the worst thing about it is that it doesn't stop. So you might kind of think, well, you know, I'll do it now while I'm young, because in the future I'll, I'll get this much, much bigger pay rise and I'll be able to save then. But if you have that mindset going into this, you'll always have that mindset and you'll always be putting the day off to the future and this is what happens and i've seen it before and uh, I've, I've been a, a victim of this myself and i know people that are earning six hundred thousand a year and um, they're actually hand to mouth in terms of their existence they have grown up their lifestyle around their income level to the point where they have to pay like massive amounts of money for schools they have to pay they have you know expensive really expensive cars and they have to go and pay make payments on those they have enormous properties that they have huge mortgages on they go on really really expensive holidays and the six hundred thousand they earn a year every penny of it goes on lifestyle they have nothing left in reserve and you might be thinking that sounds very unrealistic but that is it that's what's possible now i was just looking at a book that i have here and it's called uh, the billionaire who wasn't and it's about this guy a lot of people would not have heard this person until in the last few years but a guy called chuck feeney and chuck feeney is an irish uh well he's an irish descendant but i think he's pretty much grown up in the u.s but um he started duty-free shops back in the 1960s 
and they were extremely successful. But the guy has always lived a very, very humble life. And he decided that he wanted to give away his money to philanthropic causes, charitable stuff. And so this guy has given away four billion euro or sorry, four billion US dollars in his lifetime. And he's given it all to good causes. He's had absolutely zero ego sort of tied up in it. He doesn't look for buildings to be named after him. He doesn't look for all of the kind of, let's call it the Chuck Feeney, you know, uh, opera house or whatever it is. It's like the guy just quietly gives it away almost anonymously. And uh, and I've and I've having read the book, it's really, really interesting. There was even guys that were going to give, you know, 50 million to some sort of charitable thing. And he gave 100 million. And the guy that was giving the 50 million was demanding his name be, you know, carved in the stone at the front of the building and stuff. And Chuck kind of just gave the money and just didn't didn't say he needed anything like that. And uh, in the end, the guy that gave the 50 million after giving 20 million and then he was supposed to put another 30 in, he couldn't come up with the money because something had gone wrong in his investments or something. Chuck came up with the other 30 and yet the guy still got his name on the building. So guy with no ego at all. What an incredible legacy. It's very, I find that kind of thing very, very inspiring. Anyway, guys, you might notice my voice is a little bit kind of hoarse today. So, so apologies if, um, if this audio is not great, but that's all for this week. I hope you found this one useful and I will see you back here this time next week. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Behind the Facade. If you have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes, please connect with me via the Facebook group that is called Behind the Facade Community. Alternatively, you will find me on social media. My handle is Gavin J. Gallagher. You can stay up to date with all of my content and the various projects I'm working on over on my website, GavinJGallagher.com. And while you're there, please do add your name to the join my tribe thing over on the right hand side this will ensure you're kept up to date via my weekly newsletter all of these links are in the show notes below that's all for now i will see you guys in the next episode